On this week's episode, Alveston boy, proud Tasmanian and Fremantle footballer Alex Pearce. Alex joins the pod to chat about his love for his home state, his journey through sport on the coast and his pathway into being drafted by the Fremantle Football Club. Alex has endured a number of setbacks through his footy journey, but this has led him to gaining a more widespread appreciation for life and his value as a person outside of football. He speaks openly about his darkest times, how he got himself out of the rut he was in, what he's learned about himself and mental health as a whole and what he aims to do post-football. We chat about moving interstate as an 18-year-old, being elevated into Fremantle's leadership group, captaining the club and his views on leadership. He speaks about meeting players he looked up to and how being bashed up by Matthew Pavlich was one of the best learning experiences he's had as a footballer. We speak about the fierce WA-AFL rivalry, derbies and the notorious day when his teammate Andy Brayshaw was left with a broken jaw and the aftermath in that game. Alex also speaks about his Indigenous heritage, being accepted into Fremantle's Indigenous Brotherhood, racism in the AFL which unfortunately is still very present, how he hopes to support his teammates through this and his hopes for society in regards to education on Indigenous culture. So much great content in this one. Alex is an articulate man and a proud Northwest coaster who's a pleasure to chat to and he gives a very rounded view of life as a footballer and more importantly the type of person he wants to be in society. Enjoy. Welcome back to the Talk Hard Podcast. I'm Jake. I'm Briley. I'm Sonny. We hope you enjoy today's episode. I've got half an opportunity here. I'm going to take it this time. <laughs> <laughs> he sat there for two songs and he goes, he likes to shit off and then he left. When I die, I want everyone <laughs> to have shots and I want you to use my coffin as the bar. I collapsed and, and they couldn't find a heartbeat for a couple of minutes. I would give everything, anything that I've got right now to hear my mum sing again. I could just go into the house and fucking do it and no one would care, but people do care. He said, thank you for saving my life. The Talk Art Podcast with Brendan Hinkson. Oh, mate, it doesn't uh, get much bigger than this. <laughs> Alex Pierce, welcome to the Talk Art Podcast, mate. Thanks for having me, Brendan. Oh, my pleasure, mate. Thanks for your time. And um, we probably got you at a, at a good time. Um, I just uh, saw that you just re-signed a new contract to uh, 2025, so congratulations on that. Thank you. Yeah, just announced the other week. It's, it's always nice to have it done. The process, yeah, it's a it's always an interesting one. It's just weighing up your own value and, um, yeah, during the season there's enough going on without having that sort of in the back of my mind. So it's nice just to have it done now and I can just yeah focus on the rest of the season. Get it locked away, yeah. And you're obviously pretty happy yeah. over at, at Freo, mate. Like there's never a consideration for you to go anywhere else. You're always happy to sort of stay where you are at the moment. Yeah, I am. I've enjoyed my time. So far, um, enjoyed Frio as a place, living here and the sort of mates and the uh, connections I've made over the years and uh, just the, how well the team's going at the moment. We've had a yep. few lean years, but now it looks like we've a chance to have some success over the next few. So, yeah, it's always – you always sort of weigh things up um, with this around this time. Like, it's a pretty big decision. So, just weigh up sort of life and what I want to do and yep. how I've – what I, where I see myself going the next few years. But, yeah, in doing that, it was pretty hard to walk away from um, what could be an exciting few years for the club. Absolutely, yeah. It'd be good to see them get a bit of success. And as you say, when you go through the lean years, it probably makes it all that more rewarding, doesn't it, if everyone sticks together? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We've got a, we've still got a relatively young group at the moment, but, yeah, we've sort of built and grown over the last few years through some harder sort of times. And, obviously, the COVID years were tough for everyone and um, challenging for football clubs. So I think that's helped bring us a bit closer together as well. Um, yep. 
we spent more time with each other than what we would have you yeah. know, over the last few years. So I think that's being a young group, it's um, benefited us in a bit because probably less um, less responsibilities at home for a lot of us. So we were able to just lean into it a little bit more. And I think that's, yeah, it sort of paid off a little bit with how um, well-connected we are now and how that's sort of translating a little bit on the field. Yeah. One of the only benefits to COVID, isn't it? Sort of brought you all a bit closer together. Yeah, there wasn't too many benefits, but um, <laughs> maybe there's one there. Yeah, well, hopefully we don't get another wave of it, mate. It sort of seems to start be starting to creep back in, so hopefully it doesn't, um, you know, disrupt the season too much. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. It's, it's obviously going to affect life for a fair bit longer mm. yet, but I think, yeah, other sports have just pushed on through, and I think we're at the stage now where we just push through and we've got our processes yeah. in place to keep things in check. But, yeah, I, I think there's sort of too much on the line and we've missed sort yeah. of too much and missed too many crowds that, that yeah, we want to make the most of the next few months in the finals that, that comes up. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. It's probably good timing for Freo to re-sign you too. There's no Tassie team at the moment to pull at your heartstrings, <laughs> mate. So maybe in a few years' time, it might be a little bit different. So, Oh, I will say it would certainly be interesting if a Tassie team um, yeah. <laughs> came into it. I'm certainly a strong advocate, obviously being a proud Tasmanian. So, Oh look, I hope I hope we can get a team, and I hope it's sooner rather than later. But yeah, well, I think like like everyone, I'm just sort of waiting and seeing and hoping. Yeah, that's right. No, we'll see what happens, mate. They're sort of dragging their feet a little bit on it, but everyone's got their own teams to barrack for for now. So it'll be interesting to see what happens when a Tassie team comes in. But that's a discussion for another day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we could we could talk for a couple hours on that, I'm sure. Bloody oath! And we've got you on the back of um, pinging a calf, mate. What happened there? Yeah, so oh, I was a bit sore the week before um, yep. and just sort of pushed on through the week. I was actually a bit crook during the week leading into last game, so I spent a bit of time away from the club. And, yeah, just during the during the warm-up, it just yeah got a bit sore and we made the call not to, yeah, just to sit out. It's obviously a, still a long way left in the season and yeah. with any sort of soft tissue injury, there's always a risk of, um, a risk of making it worse. So, yep. yeah, always a tough decision getting that close to a game, um, whether we play whether we play or not. But I think we made the right call and, yeah, training uh, later this Saturday. So we'll see how it goes. There's a good chance I'll miss this weekend, but um, yep. I'm actually feeling really good. So I'll be, I'll be pushing my case. But, yeah, we'll see. We'll be taking uh, – yeah, make the decision with myself and the docs and physios and we'll, we'll come to a, a smart decision. So yep. we'll see. I was going to ask you that. How much um, input does the player actually have? Is it mainly left to the medical team on those sort of things? Uh, yeah, it normally is. I feel like someone in my position, my probably experience and my relationship with our physios and docs, I probably have a little bit more say. It might be yep. naive to think, but I do think I have a bit yep. more a bit more say. They trust my judgment a little bit. So, um, yeah, in the end, it comes down to the sort of docs, physios, strength, strength and conditioning staff. And like sort of um, last week and I had a game against GWS after I hurt my ankle, which I was touch and go. And when it comes to a player um, oh, making the call to, to not play, it's really hard. And I don't think it's something I can do. And they sort of know that I'll always play. So I have to sort of feed them the info and tell them how I'm feeling. And then they stop me from playing because it's, yeah, I think it, Sort of most athletes, when you get that, you just want to play every game, and you yeah. can certainly push through injuries before. So it's sometimes to my detriment. So uh, it's definitely a balance there. 
There is. Has anyone had a crack at you about it burn the old man's injury, the calf injury? They reckon that's when you're on your way out, don't they? When you start pinging calves. Well, there's a, yeah, there's a couple, of, couple of times it's been mentioned, but oh, <laughs> I try and just steer away from that conversation. I'm 27, so I think I've still got a few years left before. You've I got plenty of footy left sort of in talks. your mate. You've got to make up for a bit of lost time, so I'm sure they're premature, yeah. those, those talks. Um, yeah. But obviously, we'll, we'll go through your footy career and stuff. But um, just chatting to you, um, you know, the, the talks that we've had on the phone and that, I'm just, I'm really excited to have a chat to you about stuff outside of footy because one of the things that, that you said to me, which which was really impressive, was how your mindset changed through your injuries. And I know, like a lot of athletes, are you know, um, very, um, they have the blinkers on. They're only really focused on getting back because that's the be all and end all of their life. But for you, I think it, it sort of opened your eyes up to a, a little bit more stuff outside of footy. So. Obviously, we'll go back to the start. So, 1995, mate, you were hatched? That's correct. Bernie yep. Hospital. Alveston boy? Alveston boy, yeah. <laughs> um, born and raised in Alveston. Alveston Primary School, Alveston High School. Went yep. on to Don College. Um, played all my junior football, cricket um, in Alveston since I could walk. Um, yeah, just have a really strong affinity even now with Tassie and specifically Alveston. My parents are still there and a lot of family and a lot of my mates and yeah, specifically with the sort of footy club and cricket club. Yep. So it's, yeah, it's, um, I don't know a lot of people, I'm a, quite a proud sort of Tasmanian and even over here, the blokes just give me shit because if anything <laughs> comes up, I'll always be sticking up for us. When the Jack Jumpers were going well, I was their number one fan. So yep. yeah, the last, so. um, yeah, yeah. So it's, yeah, it's sort of funny sort of growing up. It just sort of is, is what it is. You like, like the town, like the, like my sort of friends and family. And then as I moved away, I probably realized how much I um, enjoyed my sort of childhood and my experiences growing up and the people and the community I had around me. So yeah, it's something I sort of hold sort of quite close to me now. Yeah. It's a very, very tight knit community. I grew up in Latrobe and, you know, we came to obviously hate Alveston because they used to always beat us in grand finals and stuff. But <laughs> having spent a bit of time in Alveston now, like it's, it's a beautiful town. Obviously anyone that's, that's listening, you know, from, from the Northwest coast would, would know that, but you, um, you played all of your, your footy in Alveston, but just tell us quickly about your cricketing career. What sort of a cricketer were you? Oh, uh, not as good as I would have liked to be. I always, <laughs> um, always preferred cricket. And even now, if I could, sort of trade my footy career for a baggy green, I'd do it in a heartbeat. Wow, but, okay. Um, yeah, probably, it was the probably time in under, when I was about 16, it was the under 16s um, footy side was training and I was in the squad and it happened, it was during sort of late summer and the cricket season was on and we had a game of second grade on Alveston they were supposed to be playing when they had their trial game and at that point I was just, uh, wasn't as, I guess the, the professional dream for either sport wasn't uh, really that there, that tangible at the time. And I was like, well, this is cricket season. I want to play cricket. So I went and played cricket. Yep. We got washed out, didn't play, a, didn't bowl a ball. And I missed out on that, um, ended up missing out on that team. So I sort of stopped training from there. And at the time it was, it was just the decision I made because that's what I love to do at that, that point in my yeah, point of my life. And yep. um, it's sort of funny how things, turn out and then like a year a year on um i got uh sort of picked late to play in the under 16 um under 16 state team when i was 17 years old just i had an injury and i was playing senior footy at olsen at the time and then i got the call up and played played pretty well and then was in the 
program for the, my under 18 year. But yeah, for a lot of that, a lot of that time, cricket took up more of my time, I guess. I love yep. training and yeah, it's sort of, if I was good enough, oh, that's probably, that's where I would have gone. But yeah. And what were you, just, just a tear away fast bowler or? No, embarrassingly, I was just a slow, slow, medium pacer. I was more of a batsman. Yeah, okay. Batting all around. I, yeah, I should just make up that I've old pace because that's what everyone assumes. <laughs> you got the height to uh, send them down with a bit, bit of yeah. noise, mate. Yeah, no, very slow, medium pace and tried to bat um, more so. But yep. yeah, I was still playing cricket up until I think a couple of weeks before I got drafted. I played, okay. a, played a game or two with Olberson and yeah, yep. would love to come back and play a couple of games now, but with my... Um, body in history it's probably not a little wise decision <laughs> club might um, frown on that a little bit mate you've got to sort of wrap yourself in cotton wool outside the footy season i'd imagine oh yeah be a, yeah i'd have to play under an alias for sure yeah yep um now this is a question i've asked a, a few um, footballers successful footballers it might be a tricky one for you to answer but do you remember at what age um this is again coming back to your football at what age you thought hang on i actually go all right at this i might be able to make a decent career out of this was there ever a time when you sort of had those thoughts yeah i probably touched on it then when i got um picked to play for the under 16 mariners team yeah um, yeah like i said i wasn't involved in that program or any state program that year I was playing senior footy for Alveston and just got yeah picked out of the blue um and sort of went to a training run and then i feel like the next week or two later i was on a plane to sydney and yeah i got I won Tassie's best player for that carnival. And that was probably, I remember a couple of months later, I got a a letter from an AFL player manager saying that, yeah, look, they're interested in representing me and they saw saw how well I played, yada, yada, yada. I remember reading that and going, holy shit, like maybe this is, yeah, maybe this could be real. Like I always, um, I always, I guess was a, was a reasonably good player growing up but there was always plenty of kids better than me at least that's what yeah so I thought but it was probably yeah that age I matured a little bit later grew a little bit later and then that was probably the moment I remember receiving that letter I remember going to school the next day and telling a few of my mates saying (laughs) holy shit I just got a message I just got this letter and an AFL club's looking at me like wow yeah so that was yeah that was probably it so that was really your sort of breakout that tournament was it that um, that carnival yeah yeah Yeah, first time representing the state. And yeah, from that moment, I was involved in the state program. And then, yeah, I had to move to play footy at Devonport the following year because I was in the state league. Yeah. And yeah, that was, yeah, that was sort of it. Those next 12 months later after that, I was, oh, it was draft camp and drafted. So it was, yeah, it all happened relatively quick. Yeah. So just tell us just quickly your, your draft year. Were there clubs that were sort of reaching out to you and talking to you? Did you have any sort of meetings or contact? Did you have any indication of who was interested? Obviously, Freo were, but was there anyone else sort of speaking to you at that time? Yeah. So I mentioned uh, draft camp, which is, I think, roughly a month or so before, maybe less before the draft night. So that was yep. over in Melbourne where you do all the uh, 2K or 3K time trial, beep test, all those sort of things. And um, you have sort of scheduled times where you can have meetings with clubs then. And I remember, I think I probably had six or seven meetings uh, with different clubs. And then from that, I had, I think, three clubs come to come to home, fly to Tassie and sort of have an interview at home. And one was Freo. I think one was St Kilda. Uh, can't, maybe, I can't think of who the other one is. I think there was, yeah, I think there was three that I sort of, 
Um, clubs I thought, okay, we're sort of reasonably strong chance here. But yeah. yeah, leading into draft night, I was at home watching on TV with my sort of a close family. And yeah, leading into that night, I was oh, hopeful, but I really thought that the next the next day, the rookie rookie draft is probably where I'd be more of a chance. Yep. Um, so yeah, I got I was picked 37, which yeah at the time was a shock, and I felt like a bit of a reach at the time for Frio, but it was, <laughs> yeah, you'll take it. It was oh, I definitely took it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you played um most of your your junior footy as a forward, <laughs> didn't you? In your draft year, you were playing as a forward. Did you play down back much at all? Or yeah, I was a midfielder all my career, and then when I got to about 17, I started playing a bit more forward. Yep. Um, my first game for the under 18 Mariners, I played as a mid. Um, for Devonport, I played my first couple of games as a midfielder, yep. and then yeah, mostly up forward, but a little bit down back as well. Uh, Max Brown ended up coaching Devonport um, during that season. Yep. I think our Paul Griffiths he got the sack at around round seven or eight. Yeah, um, and Max and I sort of developed a pretty yeah close relationship. He's an Alberson man. Yeah, and to be honest, he used to just play me sort of. I remember there was a couple of games where. Whichever way the wind was blowing, that's where he'd play me. I'd play centre half forward, centre half back. Yep. Um, he sort of knew a couple of times when there were some recruiters playing. So I'd, yeah, I'd play back some games, forward some games. It was really thrown around and was a, yeah, definitely more forward for, um, for Tassie in that year. But I definitely played one game in defence. So yeah, that was, I guess, one of my strengths, I thought, was my versatility and being able to play multiple positions. But yeah. Um, yeah, I think on draft night, I was drafted as a forward, like you could, you'd probably say, but yeah, definitely a bit of a, yeah, utility, I guess. Yep. You haven't had, uh, had a whisper in the ears of any of the coaches at Freo and told them you were a pretty good midfielder to give you a run through the middle at any stage? <laughs> oh, I have done, but they don't take me too seriously. If you look There's some pretty handy blokes going through there. Track in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have to, have to take them out at training, mate, and get in there that way. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so what was it like for, for a young fella from, from Tassie moving interstate? So what sort of support systems and things did they put in place for you? Is, it, is there an extra focus on the guys moving interstate that the clubs wrap a bit of support around you? Yeah, um, I guess Frio being all the way um, over in the West, a lot of yeah, a lot of our draftees are from interstate. There's quite a few Victorians, Victorians there. Um, I was lucky to be drafted with Brady Gray, who's a Bernie boy and who I grew up playing sport mostly against, but with as well. So I knew him pretty well. So we, I guess, had each other, which was nice. We lived together in a host family for the first year. But, um, yeah, I never really got homesick. I, I guess when people uh, move interstate, it's, they sort of have to, you have to find your group and your, your um, group of friends and uh, whatnot and your work and all that kind of thing. But for uh, footy players, you move over and, you're with a group of guys who are your, roughly your age, roughly sort of interested in the similar thing. So you're just in that environment straight away. And all of a sudden within, yeah, within a day, you've got yeah, a handful of really close mates and you get on well with everyone around. That's at least that's what I found. So yep. um, that environment was, yeah, at the time was, was friendly, supportive, um, not too dissimilar from what I'd sort of grown up with in the end. Everyone comes to different parts of Australia, I guess, but most people grew up playing footy and it was a part of a footy club. And yeah, he just sort of slipped in and it was, yeah, it felt, yeah, didn't feel like, feel like quite a, quite, um, such a shock 
the yep. weather was probably the biggest shock. It was hot as hell <laughs> uh, for pre-season, which is different to what I was used to. But yep. yeah, no, it was a, it was relatively seamless, I think, to be honest. Yeah. Yep. And and obviously you'd have a few good mates at the club. Is there anyone still there that was in your draft year? Are you sort of closer to those guys? Or No. No. So most of my draft year was gone after a few years. And Brady yep. lasted about five. Yep. Um, even either side of me, like the year before, um, Matt Tavener still around, who I'm close with, but a lot of all of those guys are gone. The year before that, they're all gone. The year before yep. that, they're all gone as well. So yep. it is um it's just it's sort of um I guess it's funny the environment, how quickly things can change over a few years. Like we had a couple of years there where things started uh, we started to struggle a little bit as a club and um yeah, a lot of players get um get shafted and there's a huge turnover in in players and yeah that they're probably the most challenging times because yeah a lot of my best mates who I spend every day with all of a sudden they're um, they're out of a job and they're, they're moving back into state and yeah that's what I found over a couple of years there there's probably a half a dozen of my closest mates all all sort of left and it's yeah it's the challenging thing about football because it's so cutthroat and it's it's rare that you um, you'll spend your whole career with the yeah with too many similar faces so yeah um, yeah, that, that turnover about in the, I guess on the other side of it, we've had guys come in from other clubs and we actually get the new draftees each year. So I've made plenty of, plenty of mates along the way. Just that the draftees that come in now are obviously, yeah, quite young and, um, it just changes the environment a little bit. And all of a sudden I'm starting to become the old man, which is a little <laughs> bit scary. You got to learn a new lingo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, does it? This might seem like a funny question, but does it sort of change how you do interact with people at the club once you've been through that situation where when you first got to the club and then you've got close to people and then they have been delisted or they've had to move on? Does it sort of change your mindset around sort of forming relationships or do you still just go all in with, with people? Is, is that- yeah, it's a, oh, it's a good question. And it's um, you could easily um, think that. And I feel like it's a a dangerous um, mindset to have and a way to, to act. And I think the environment that we tried to create is that when you come in, you're welcomed, you're a part of the group and you sort of are until you leave. And even when you leave, once you've become a part of our footy club and you've been a docker, you, you sort of have that, you are for life in a sense. And everyone has different experiences, um, different uh, length of tenures and, um, especially the last couple of months, some guys who get delisted or it's quite a shock. It's, it's really hard for them to stay connected with the club, but I do feel like, um, yeah, I do feel like that once you're, once you're in, we just, you have to throw your arms around everyone. And um, because if you, yeah, if you start to sort of pick and choose and make decisions based on, Oh, I'm not sure if this guy's going to be around. I'm just going to, I'm going to put more of my time into this guy here. It's, I just feel like it's, it's not great for it, uh, not great for the culture, and you can it starts things can start to fracture. I guess so. Yeah, yeah I guess personally, it's try to treat everyone um, with respect, and it's being a being a good person and a good teammate. And I feel like often can take a bit more precedent than just solely trying to focus on. Okay, I'm going to put my time into you because you're going to be a good player, and you're not such a good player. So maybe I'm just going to throw you to the side. I feel like that's. Um, a bit counterproductive if you're trying to create a positive, a good environment, a successful environment. Yeah, good answer.
Um, last one on your on your first year. What was it like walking mm-hmm. in and, and seeing your guys like your Pavliches and your Fifes and these sort of guys? I'm assuming that um, you would have had to do a fair bit of training playing on Matty Pavlich to start off with. Was that a bit of an eye opener, yeah. a bit of a bit of a shock to the system? Oh yeah, daunting, daunting as hell walking <laughs> into the um, yeah walking into the change rooms and you've, yeah Pavlich, McFarlane, Sanderland, Crowley. All of these guys, Valentine, who was a little pain in the ass, picks <laughs> everyone off and played pranks with everyone. Yeah, it's good that um, he does that with everyone, not just the opposition. Yeah, yeah, still does now. <laughs> um, it, yeah, daunting, surreal, but as I sort of touched on earlier, like everyone, everyone's just still um, your average, most of the time, just your average or average bloke, and you can get a perception, I guess, on TV of watching these um, players and think they're superhuman and what they do is incredible. And, oh, like what must it be like to live like them and the life they live? But when you come into it, all it is is a bunch of guys who play footy for a living, train, still talk about the same, a lot of the same stuff. And it's just that, yeah, um, it became, I grew up around footy clubs my whole life. So it, it's, there is a slight difference there, but, a lot of it is, yeah, the same sort of interactions and they're the same, same sort of blokes um, that, yeah, that you're dealing with when you get off the field. But, yeah, I played on Pav oh, for my whole career, I guess, at training. And, yeah, one of the, the best experiences I've, I've had. It's the most I've learnt. Yeah, easily the most I learnt was training on him and speaking to Pav after, after training and we'd watch clips and go through clips and then I'd talk to Luke McFarlane and we'd look at clips of me playing on him and, it's yeah i remember in my first month or so i reckon i was holding him a little bit um a little bit too much and he turned around um jumper punched me he threw me to the ground and i thought holy shit i'm going to get delisted next <laughs> tomorrow like that's kind of put a line through me yeah but that was um it, anyway yeah i spent the next three hours sitting myself and then he came up to me in the gym and shook my hand and was like oh we're good we're all good mate and he was like oh yeah yeah fine he's like oh yeah this we play train how we play like just don't hold me and like winked at me or something. And that was, that was sort of it. And that was a bit of a moment for me. Like, okay, yeah, this is a, one of the best players of the oh, modern, modern game. And this is how he goes about things and trains with a, an intensity and a fierceness. So it's sort of something I've always tried to try and emulate a little bit. Yep. And I suppose he, he's probably someone that would be in a pretty good position to give you some tips because a lot of people do forget that he was an All-Australian fullback as well. Like, I think a lot of people remember yeah. late in his career, you know, he was obviously a gun gun forward, but he actually played pretty well in that position as well and and a midfielder as well. So he's just yeah, yeah. remarkable what sort of player he was. Oh, yeah, incredible player. I remember just, yeah, growing up, he was one of my favourite players just because he just used to do it all. And, yeah, to have to have someone like that we'd watch clips and he'd be he'd be like okay i don't like when you do this and you need to um change your positioning here and like he's trying to teach me how to beat him and how to um take him down at training which yeah just such great experience and stuff that yeah you just don't don't get and you probably don't um yeah you obviously don't see um from watching so just um you know into your career you made your debut in 2015 is that correct uh yep yep so against essendon yep yeah, was that at the MCG or was it at home? Or uh, no, it was at home at Subiaco Oval. Yep. Yeah, yeah. T- t- Joey Danaher. Tell us about that game. Were you were you shitting yourself, or was it sort of something that you were pretty sort of calm about? <laughs> uh, oh yeah, nervous for sure. Um, 
that was a, we were still a really good side at that stage. I think, I'm not sure what round that was. It was, I don't know, maybe four or so, but we'd won our, we'd won every game leading into it. Uh, Luke McFarlane had a, like an injury concern during the week and sort of trained and he didn't get through much of training. And I mean, in the, in the gym after training, I hadn't heard yet what was going to happen, but I knew I was a good chance, obviously, if he didn't play. And he sort of came up to me and, yeah, tapped me on the shoulder and was like, oh, yeah, I'm not playing type thing. So I sort of had a fair idea. And I don't know. So it is hard to look back and remember. But just the, because I was sort of around the, the club for a while at that stage, I, my first year didn't play. I was emergency a couple of times and nearly played late in the year. But because uh, I'd been so close, I'd sort of been through that moment a lot of times um, in my head and played it out, obviously, plenty of times. So I remember just trying to, I guess, take it all in and just, just enjoy the experience. I remember my teammates just being so happy for me and getting around me. And that was, yeah, that was obviously so nice. But then once you're out there, I mean, yeah, it was a massive crowd. And I remember that not taking any of that in, being sort of focused on the game. And I remember like watching, watching from the stands and seeing how uh, loud the crowd is and how insane it all is. I think, how could anyone concentrate out there and <laughs> do their job and not get overawed by it? It just seems ridiculous. But once I'm out there, I was out there, I just completely yeah, tuned in. It just became a normal game of football and just all I focused on was my role and what I was going to do. Yep. I mean, late in the game, I sort of allowed myself to take a look around and sort of take it all in and thought, fuck, this is pretty, this is pretty sweet. This is pretty yep. special. And yeah, we won that game. And then from then on, I played, I played for a while. I I, yeah, I had a couple of injuries, but played for the majority of the rest of the season i think we won our first 10 or so games that year so it was a yeah it was a pretty nice time to be yeah playing yep yeah it's always a bit easier when you're winning isn't it yeah well you've got some experienced guys around you i think i probably would have been zach dawson alongside me michael johnson lee spur like guys who i'm still good mates with now and just such great mentors and obviously Luke McFarlane. he came back and played along a lot with him and yeah just yeah just amazing amazing times as a young young kid some fair players um, so into 2016 was the the first of your your major injuries. You broke your leg in 2016, didn't you? Yep. Yep. Do you remember the incident? What happened there? Yeah. So it was round eight against Richmond. Yep. Um, only a year on from when I debuted, and so we won the first roughly ten, eight or ten in 2015, and lost our first ten of 2016. Yep. Um, so we lost our first seven games leading into Richmond, and yeah, it was just bit of panic stations really at the club we didn't know what the hell was going on um but i was playing reasonably well before the game i had a really sore ankle which which yeah i thought was a little bit unrelated um so I played and played through yeah had to painkillers on board and in the third quarter i think it was went up for a mark i was wearing screw-ins for the first time and landed on the sort of soft ground and got stuck and got bumped and twisted as i hit the ground and yeah, as that happened, I a tibia fractured. It was a spiral fracture. Um, yeah, came off the came off the ground, got like just got helped off and sat out the rest of the game. Obviously, and I remember just thinking, okay, it's not too bad. I can feel my ankle. I can slightly move it. Like trying to convince myself and went to the medical rooms and they had a little ultrasound machine and went over it. And there was quite a few medical staff in there. And I just remember going over it, seeing this massive. Yeah, this massive difference, this massive mm. break. It was quite obvious. Everyone just went dead silent and, yeah, it was like, okay, this is, yeah, that's what you've done. You broke your tibia and, yeah. So, 
yeah, really emotional, really emotional time. Like, yeah, broke down, had teammates coming in and hugging me. And yeah, I remember it quite vividly. But yeah, at the time, like obviously knew that, yeah, break your leg, you're out for a year. So it was, yeah, so it was devastating at the, yeah, at the time and over those, that next little bit, I had surgery straight away to get a plate um, put in with, yeah, heaps of screws and whatnot, which all went well. Um, yeah, challenging time, but I remember one of the sort of things that kept me going was Michael Barlow was a part of that team and he obviously had a very, very bad broken leg mm. um, a few years before and was back playing and I was like, oh, this is, this is what happens. Some people break their leg and come back bigger and better than ever and that's what I'm going to do. I'm young, I'll grow and I'll build my body up and I'll come back and I'll be I'll be great. So it was, yeah, it was disappointing, but I was still in a pretty good mindset for for a lot of that rehab time. Yeah. And I think, so you missed all of the the next year, I think as well. I think that somewhere I read 672 days between you, that game and your next game. Does that sound about right? Yeah. So the next, the following February, after I'd completed uh, seven, eight months of rehab, I was pretty close to joining the main group for um, for training. I was still doing my own rehab running off to the side and I was yep. just doing a basic change of direction pattern at the time and as I planted my right foot and turned and twisted I heard this crack and sort of a bit of pain and went down and yeah got carried off into the rooms and they thought oh look it doesn't look good so I went and got it checked out and yeah it refractured the the old break I had to go into a plaster cast big ass plaster cast for yeah three months and that was sort of start again and missed, yeah, missed all of 2017 as well, which, yeah, that was, yeah, that was the hardest time. That was, that was really tough being injuring it in such an innocuous action, just literally jogging, changing direction. Yeah. That was when the thoughts of this could be it, like footy career could be over. You want to have no say in what happens, what happens next, then you could be, you could be done. And at that stage, yeah, footy was, footy was everything. I was totally, committed to just being a footballer and that was how I was known I was a footballer that was how I was happy to be known and loved loved what I was doing and yeah that was where yeah life became really hard for a for a few months there and really struggled yeah I got stuck I just remember getting stuck in my stuck in my room at the time and not getting out of bed dreading seeing anyone um sort of tell this story where I that sort of realizing moment was obviously people would drop off heaps of food and stuff and I remember um, laying in the lounge room which was near my bedroom and I had a, what, a bag of Maltesers next to me and it was like late morning and I was just like just like ah oh, enough fuck it I can't be bothered doing anything I'm having Maltesers for breakfast and that was <laughs> that was a, a moment where I was like oh geez this is yeah you're not in a great way yep so what did there anything that you obviously it was good that you could recognise that, but what steps did you put in place then to try and drag yourself out of that hole that you're in? Yeah, so the biggest the biggest thing in the defining moment was I spoke to our player welfare um, manager at the club, who yep. I had a pretty good relationship with, and yeah, during this time was just a yeah very lonely, yeah very lonely, very sad time, and I spoke to him and I was like in his office and said, look, mate, I'm I'm actually really struggling because, yeah, whenever I ask how you're going, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going fine. I'll be back at this stage. I'll start running here, yada, yada, yada. But I went into his office and I said, look, Mark, I'm, I'm not good. I'm not happy. I'm really struggling. I don't know what to do. And broke down. And that was a, yeah, it was just such a weight off my shoulders at that point. And um, 
from there, I started seeing a, um, a psychologist outside of the club who is provided by our players association. We have access to external psychologists and yeah, that sort of really helped. And at that, at that um, stage, just speaking about how I was feeling and what was going on was enough that I could start to start to climb back out of yeah this hole I was in. And yeah, I still catch up with that. Yeah. I've, that was what 2017 um, and I've been seeing that psych sort of as I need through then and now that's becomes part of my um part of part of my life and part of being healthy physically and mentally just to to make sure I'm check of uh in check of how I'm feeling and how I'm how I'm coping with things that are going on. But uh probably that yeah that was the moment reaching out um for the first time and then from that point there I was able to have conversations with my with my family and my mates. I've got a lot of close mates who became a real support network for me as well. And that was how during that 17 year, I was able to get out of that hole and um, commit back to my, to my rehab and my training. It's interesting that yeah. you say that though, every single person though, that I've talked to that's been in one of those dark holes, every time it always comes back to just reaching out and talking to people. It's so important, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's something, uh, something that for a lot of, for a lot of men and like, young men in particular it's just not something we find overly comfortable it's not something i still find overly comfortable telling people how i how i feel and burdening people with my with how i'm feeling and my problems but it's yeah something that's just so so important and just so crucial to maintaining a healthy healthy um life when things aren't going so great absolutely how scary is it in this day and age how much we rely on modern technology it's not till your phone dies or the Wi-Fi or power goes off that you realise you'd be lost without it. Well, recently, my phone decided in its old age to die and stop charging, and on a weekend, no less. So what do you do? Rather than waiting to speak to the network providers or retail outlets, which can be painful within itself, give Brad or Katie a call at Greenies Apple Repairs. That's what I did, and they had my old phone as good as new in hours. Greenies take care of iPhones, iPods, iPads, and pretty much everything else, and they won't cost you an arm and a leg. So next time you're stuck back in the dark ages with no technology, contact Greenies Apple Repairs on 0401 229 220 or you can contact them at www.greeniesrepairs.com.au or find them on Facebook. Now just to get onto this busted screen. So out for all of 2017 and then you were back in 2018, but before that you are actually elevated into Fremantle's leadership group. So tell us how that came about and how you felt about that at the time. Yeah, so I'd obviously spent, yeah, those two years on the sidelines and <clears throat> it was something that over that over that time, I guess it was a goal that I uh, clung to that I thought was potentially achievable um, and a way that I could contribute to the, to the team and be of be of value um obviously not playing for that time like I feel a bit um oh, a bit hopeless and I yeah wanted to be a part of what we were what we were doing and I've always sort of seen myself as a as a leader and it's come reasonably natural natural to me so um it was a way of like I said having this um, goal and contributing and improving as a person, as a player, as a teammate. So I just, yeah, I was like really committing to all the rehab I was doing whenever I was um, in our cross training room on a bike or 
doing one of my sessions, it was always, okay, you're going to do this as best as you can. And anyone who sees you is going to think that, fuck, Alex is just so committed and he's going to come back bigger and better than ever. That was, yeah, I obviously believe that, that if I trained hard, it would help me in the long run. But there was also the other part of, I want people to see what I'm doing and I want to be, yeah, I want to be respected because it's hard to earn respect if you're not training and you're not playing. So, yeah, um, yeah so when I got the, yeah, when I got elevated, it was, I guess, validation of some of the the work that I'd done and um, I guess some of that extra extra sort of stuff and sort of trying to still stay involved and um, be around the group as much as I can and try and contribute as much as I can. So, yeah, that was during those um, long rehab stints. I often need little goals to keep me motivated, whether it be uh, different targets in the gym or um, targets on a when you're on a bike and the little training that you're doing the little little goals of walking and jogging and running and all of those little things. But there was also that sort of big goal for me as well of I'm going to earn my respect by trying to just do everything I can and help people and um, set a set an example, I guess. And, yeah, it was something that was, yeah, pretty important to me and it still, yeah, it still is and it's still a big reason, a big source of motivation for me. Absolutely, and the um the leadership um team the, the the process of actually getting voted into the leadership team is it voted on by the, the players? Is that how it works out for our? Yep, yeah, yep. we vote. Everyone votes. Yeah, um, five five through to one, and that's yeah, tally it up at the end and decide who's yeah who's in from that. Yep, and obviously you know, but that's that's a pretty big um, achievement um, considering that you weren't able to actually be on the field providing leadership. Obviously, they saw enough in your in your rehab and stuff. So, you know, congratulations on that, I suppose, mate. I have to say because you know, obviously, what you were doing was that impressive for them outside of the game to say, well, you know, when he is back, this is the bloke that we want as part of our leadership team. Yeah, yeah, I guess I know. Um, for me, it was what I it was what I wanted, and it was a I guess a goal. So when I achieved it, it was like, yep, tick that off. And what's, what's next? Keep, um, keep improving, I guess, but it is. Yeah. That's something I am. Yeah. I am proud of and still proud to be um, in the leadership group and to the opinions of my teammates. Yeah. Matter to me. And um, to have that sort of respect from them is, yeah, is important. And that's yeah something I still yeah, really value now. Yep. What sort of leader are you, Alex? How would you describe yourself? Hmm. No, I'm quite um, quite different on on and off the field. Off the field, I'm very laid back, yeah, very laid back individual, quite um, quite reserved. So, from an off field point of view, I guess I try and build good relationships with um, with players because I feel that to have um, hard conversations and to to really um, give your give your all and listen to someone on the field and have that really strong connection on the field when you're playing it really helps to understand a bit about people and to have that connection off the field and so that's yeah that's something that's important but for me I guess the on field when I get on field I become a bit more extroverted um, a bit more demanding and that's probably my yeah I guess probably my trademark I guess trying to be, the first thing is to be super super fierce and super um, competitive and because with if you can't um, if you're not showing if you're not practicing what you're preaching if you're not um, you don't have that don't have that respect then 
people aren't going to listen to what you say. So the number one thing is just always when I'm out there, give everything I can and be, yeah, like I said, be super fierce, be super, be super tough. And then from then trying to demand, yeah, demand the same of my teammates. And um, I feel like because I have a strong connection with a lot of guys, I can um, communicate a bit differently to certain players. Some guys who are alongside, I'll be able to really rev them up, um, get stuck into them if I need to, whereas other guys, it's wrap your arm around them, tell them how much you love them. You say, come on, that's just like, give me a little bit more. Yep. So as I've gotten older and sort of learnt, learnt a little bit more about leadership and people, and sometimes it's not, you can get quite emotional, particularly out in the field when it's high stress and you, the immediate reaction is to just yell at someone and um, swear at them, but for some people, that's good and that motivates them. But for some people, that'll they'll shake their head and go, oh, fuck him, he's not, yeah, leave me alone. So, you've, yeah, as I've matured a little bit, I think I've understood that and there's a bit more nuance to it um, for, to deal with different people. So that's probably one of the biggest things I've learned, I guess, as I've gotten a bit older, to find what motivates um, different individuals and, and try and use that to get the best out of them. Absolutely. And so for in that 2018 season, obviously coming back um, from one um, rehab where you, where you broke your leg, were you a bit nervous or did you lose a bit of faith in your body like for those first few weeks? Were you a bit worried that, you know, you, if you twist on it, it might happen again? How, how were you feeling in those first few games? Uh, yeah, it's an interesting one. I never, I've always been sort of worried about my body, I guess. Uh, I've spent a lot of, I've had a lot of sleepless nights thinking about um, <clears throat> thinking about when the next incident could be or um, that kind of thing. But when I get out there and when I'm training and when I'm playing, um, I've been able to get myself into a um, that mindset and sort of, yeah, my football mindset, which is quite in, quite intense. And, uh, yeah, I haven't had those thoughts creep in and I've just been able to focus on what I need to do. Um, yeah, it's certainly, it's certainly something that still lingers in my the back of my head some of the time when I get little aches and pains around my legs and ankles in particular, but when I'm out there, when I'm training, when I'm playing often, yeah, the game takes over, my mindset takes over and um, I'm able just to go, which I find, yeah, it just, it's, it's definitely helpful because when you're out there, you need a clear head and need to be thinking about what's on, yeah, what the game requires, not um, worrying about what might happen to your body. Yeah, sure. Um, one famous game I want to ask you about in that 2018 season, and, and in particular, I want to ask you about the derbies over there because they get quite um, heated. There's a there's a massive rivalry. The two teams hate each other, don't they? Yeah, yeah. I'm sure it's probably not that way off the field, but you know, you definitely want to beat West Coast, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know some of the guys off the field, and they're good fellas, but yeah, I don't know that many of them. And yeah, when it when it's derby week, things that yeah, things go up a notch. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't like it. Yeah. No. <laughs> At least you're honest, mate. Um, and and obviously, 2018's derby. That was the one with the Andy Brayshaw incident. Did you play in that game? Yeah, I did. Yep. Yeah. Um, um, I know. I was. I was just going to ask you. Like, obviously, you've been in games before, where there's a little bit of niggle and a little bit of you know aggro going on and that sort of thing. But it sort of went up a bit of a level in in that game, just from what I've seen and and from what I've heard. Can you tell us what it was like, actually? you know, when the incident happened straight afterwards and, and, and what the players' reaction was because they were quite quite angry, weren't they? Well, it's funny. Some were, but because it happened so far off the ball, no one actually saw the incident. Okay. 
and I think it happened during the third quarter. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure no one saw it happen, and it, he came off whatever. And during three quarter time, we had our talk. Whatever we knew, I guess we knew Andy wasn't was off. I might have got subbed off. That was the year of the sub rule. But yep. no one knew. But Ross came to, I think it was Ballas, Hayden Ballantyne, Michael Johnson, maybe someone else, a couple others, and told them what happened. So I think if you watch the game in the last quarter, you'll see that Ballas and John A in particular go after him. <laughs> yep. And try Do you think he him. did that for a reason? Did he want those guys to know to sort of rough him up a little bit, do you think? Oh, 100%. 100%. 100%. And I think he picked those guys because they're experienced. And yep. um, it was probably not why I seek to tell the whole team. But, yeah, that was definitely the reason to, yeah, to rough him up. And everyone was angry. Like, Ross, if... I remember Ross's press conference after the game. He was angry every... I remember the first time I saw it, I was sitting on the massage table and I had my phone and someone sent me the link and I watched it and we were just... Yeah, couldn't believe what we were seeing. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, it was... It really... Yeah, really, I don't know, emotional after the game, like knowing what had happened to Andy and he was in hospital at the time and... Yeah, and how it... If, like how it affected him physically for the next rest of the year. He was out and, yeah, surgery on his jaw and teeth. And, yeah, really, yeah, I don't know. It really confronting sort of ex- experience. Yeah, it definitely did. And I still remember at the time, like, when Gaff got the ball in the last quarter, he was getting cheered by some of the West Coast supporters because I think he'd been made target a few times by Ballas and John or whatever. And, yeah, and then the next year when we played him he was getting cheered by west coast supporters and obviously he gets booed by Freo supporters and yeah that just grinds me as well the fact that and i know um gaffy off the field and he's yeah good dude and him and andy are fine and he's good mates with andy's brother and yeah off the well firm believer that um things on the field and things off the field are completely separate that's how i've always played yeah you can go out there and go at someone and fight them on the field and <laughs> i mean not fight but you can get physical and do whatever, but then siren goes, shake hands, as long as you don't um, cross the line, as long as you're honest, you're looking them in the eyes while you're getting stuck in them, where you're not saying anything racist or sexist or anything like that, then a lot of it's fair play for me. And then off the field, you can, yeah, do whatever. But so it's certainly that the rivalry is, yeah, when we can step on the field, it's, yeah, I dislike West Coast, but off the field, yeah, I have a beer with whoever. Yeah, good guys. Um, yeah. McGovern's good dude. JK's good dude. Yeah, a lot of them are good dudes, but when we go out in the field, it's, yeah, she's on. <laughs> That's how you want it. <laughs> um, and, and obviously, you, you touched on Ross Lyon there before, and um, obviously, you've, you've changed now to, to Justin Longmuir. But I knew, you know, I, I was always a Ross Lyon fan. I loved him as a coach, but just listening to him now in the media and particularly his work on, on Triple M, I didn't realize what a loose unit he is. <laughs> like, he's actually quite. <laughs> <laughs> Did he ever come across that way for you guys? Like, have you got any Ross Lyon oh. stories? Because he's a bit different, isn't he? Oh, he is a bit different. Um, yeah, he, he could he'd go very quickly for him having a having a bit of a joke and then just hitting a fair between the eyes and giving you the um, fiercest, strongest feedback you've ever received in your life. Um, yeah. It was, yeah, I was a big Ross fan. Um, he treated me pretty well. I liked the way he coached. He's a very, he knows football, football so well. He's so committed and dedicated um, to coaching and he, yeah, coached with a real hard edge. And yeah, I remember 
like similar to the Pav incident early in my career. One time I did, after that I did help, um, I held him and something happened. And I was like, oh, sorry, sorry. And Ross was in his shot and like stopped training and was up and said, don't you ever fucking apologize again on the field. I don't want to see that. You, yeah. And it was, he was, he was, he was fierce. And that's why I, I liked that about him. And yeah, we're still keeping contact here and there. We actually just got into a, a race horse that Hayden Valentine trains together. So hopefully get him over and <laughs> catch up for a beer and watch the horse go around. <laughs> It'd be good to have a beer with, I reckon. As I said, I didn't realise what a character he was until you, you listened to it. Like, he's a little bit straighter on footy classified, but on Triple M, when he's on there, he's, yeah, he's, he's very loose. Like, he's bloody hilarious. He's really good. Yeah. yeah. No, we probably didn't see. We saw more of the, um, yeah, the serious, <laughs> the serious side, definitely. Yep. Um, so, uh, 2019, you started really, really well. Unfortunately, you had a, another break, didn't you? You broke your ankle in that year. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yep. left leg this time. How did um how did that happen? And you know, what were your immediate thoughts afterwards after coming back from your first break? Yeah, so yeah, quite similar. I guess this one was Collingwood at the G. Um, I'd had another sort of sore sore ankle for a little bit, which yeah, which we just thought was like a standard sort of joint jointy thing um, going on, and played through was pretty sore. Ended up being a good. Um, local, local anesthetic in my ankle at halftime because it was a bit sore. Um, got to the last quarter and actually had the ball in the back line and uh, went to just went to kick the ball as I planted my left foot um, to kick. My left foot just like gave way. Heard another little crack and went down in a screaming heap and yeah, similarly got taken off and because I had a bit of local, I couldn't feel it too much. I was able to run a little bit, but couldn't jump and they ended up calling it and I was actually we had our buy the next week so I was supposed to fly to Tassie and I was playing Barn Boogle the next day so I had to cancel that which I was devastated okay. with <laughs> flew back um same sort of thing thought oh, I had sore but I might yeah I think I'll be all right got a scan and yeah same thing tibia lowering my tibia um yeah there was a fracture there so yeah a little bit oh yeah really like not not again how could this how could this happen to me again type thing? I was straight in for surgery, had another sort of plate and screws um, put in there. Um, yeah, it wasn't a, it certainly wasn't a great time because I guess even though I'd um, learned literally how to deal with um, the disappointment um, of the injury and I had some skills around, like I was having constant dialogue with my psychs. So I had that and I had some better skills about, communicating with my friends and family but just the once again thinking that oh, look, maybe maybe now it's over like you've done the other leg this time like maybe there's just something wrong with me like something wrong with my bones um, I've had <coughs> bone density t- test done and post uh, before it and since and I'm yeah I'm all good but that was yeah what was going through my head obviously and yeah I was going to miss the rest of that year after playing some good footy as well, I was finally like, okay, now I'm going to show everyone like what I can do. And then, yeah, missed. And, yeah, having to watch watch the team play again uh, from the sidelines and just watch football in general, just get super jealous of the team when they were playing. Sometimes when we won, it was even worse than when we lost because I was just so jealous of not playing, not being out there, yeah. which was a tough thing to come to terms with at the time because it made me feel selfish that I was – wasn't happy that the team was going well, yeah. um, which it is just a bit of a normal 
a normal thing when you're missing out and it, you can't help sometimes the way you feel and that's just the way I was feeling at that time. Yeah. Uh, resented watching football because I'd see other players playing well, particularly I'd watch yeah other key defenders play well and I'd be like, this is super, just so jealous. And um, I think over the, <clears throat> over the journey of those, yeah, the first time missing and then this time missing, yeah, that resentment of football sort of still lingers a little bit. I don't resent AF, like footy, but I certainly don't love it the way I used to. And um, I don't spend as much, I don't spend any time watching it. I yeah, commit when I go to the club and watch my vision there and do everything. But I try to distance myself a little bit because, yeah, I think there's just that part of me, uh, part of it which has hurt me so much. It caused me so much um, heartbreak and that, yeah, I just feel uh, a bit more, a bit happier just not having that, having that little bit more separation to it. Which yeah, has this changed certainly changed me over those that time. Um, during the rehab was a bit of a nightmare. So after a couple of months, I got the screws taken out or the plate taken out, um, and it wasn't healing properly. So I had to get a couple more screws put in before Christmas. Um, might have happened again before. Might have had three. Oh, well, maybe let's say two surgeries before Christmas, and then post Christmas. We're heading into 2020. Um, I was sort of back training, getting getting back and getting close to joining the group. COVID hits. Um, COVID hits just before round one, I think, of the AFL, well, AFL season. They We played the um, round one sort of as is. We travelled to Melbourne, played Essendon. I just missed out. I didn't quite get up, but I was going to play the next week. Come back, season shuts down indefinitely. So obviously... I'm not playing the next week. The foot that next week, I'm doing a running session um, at a local over with a couple of boys. And as I'm running a couple of laps, I just started getting this ache in my ankle. And I just like, oh, is this just me in my head again? Like, as I do start to get a bit overly concerned about things, but I stopped and went and saw the physio. And they're like, oh, look, it's not a great spot. So we get it scanned, scan it again. Um, still, the fracture is not healing properly where the screws are. So I go and have another another surgery this time I get those screws taken out and a bone graft from my hip and, um, and get some yeah get that injected into my ankle to help promote some healing I get two big ass screws put in there um, and this was yeah this must have been March ish March June um, we find out we're playing again back in the going to hubs and the 2020 season continues as has happened but yeah I spent the rest of that season I was in a boot for most of it recovering with this yeah, giving it just the best chance it could to heal so I spent a couple of months in a boot was over on the Gold Coast with the boys in the hub in a boot um, yeah missed that whole year and then eventually sort of towards the end of the year started to look positive it was healing better so yeah crack on and lead into that pre-season I'm able to yeah train just about fully yeah, once I guess once again that that whole period, it's like, why do I? Yeah, why is this happening again? What have I done to deserve even more uh, time? Like, why is my body just letting me down? Am I ever going to get back? Is this just the wrong choice? Am I not supposed to? Am I not supposed to do this? But yeah, <clears throat> throughout it all, such great support from my physios, docs, surgeon. Um, and yeah, it gave me enough confidence that it was like, look, this it can happen. 
it's not the end of the world. Like you can, it should heal. And I was able to cling on to that and just, I guess, same thing, commit to, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to come back. I'm going to be better than ever. And I'm not, yeah, I'm not willing to give up, give up yet. There was times when I thought, yeah, oh, what would the, what would life look like without, without playing or like if I just go overseas and just chill out a little bit, do some study and just live over there. It's, doesn't sound too bad but yeah there's still the opportunity that I've got and the position I'm in like I've just there's just too much uh too much left to accomplish and yeah I'm just willing to keep going and just not yeah not give up unless until it's until it's completely completely done and yeah luckily now that it's it's feeling really good and I haven't had haven't had any issues with it since yep do you think now like I'm a firm believer everything happens for a reason do you think now that I'm not going to say you're glad that those things happen, but you're probably more rounded now in your mindset as a, as a man, like, you know, of what you want to do with your life. So in a way, was it a positive going through those experiences? I don't know if I've worded that right, but I think you can know what I mean. Yeah. When I think about my journey over the last five or six years, I don't look back with the resentment. Um, I wouldn't have it any other way. Like it's, it's made me who I am. It's made me who I am now. And it's certainly changed me as a person and made probably matured me, given me a greater um, outlook on life and more well-rounded. I'm a lot, yeah, so much more well-rounded and more aware of myself. And um, I feel like, yeah, better person, a better mate because of the, what, I've, what I've been through. And yeah, it's because I've been through a lot of fair bit of adversity and a fair bit of stuff I would, at the time, it was the the last thing in the world I wanted to go through. But I, yeah, I don't look back on it with resentment. I don't think, oh, what could have been if like this could have if I yeah had would have played all these years. What imagine what I could have could have done. It's just like this is it is what it is, and I'm yeah I am content with who I am, and I'm proud of what I've been able to sort of achieve throughout it. So it's yeah, I'm certainly. I certainly don't look back at it, um, yeah, with, a, as I've said, with a heap of resentment. It's, it's yeah, it has shaped me and it's made me who I am. Yeah. And um, a part of who you are now, I, I read <clears> that you're um, studying a Bachelor of Arts in Psychology, majoring in Psychology, are you, at, at Deakin? Is that right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Major, yeah. I've got a major in politics as well, but, yeah, mainly the psych <laughs> stuff. Interesting. Look out for the political career, mate. Oh, probably not. But just a, <laughs> it's another thing to keep me going. Yeah. Was it? Was it sort of any through that time of going through your own dark times and you know working with people and working on the mind that sort of sparked your interest in that, or is it something that you'd always wanted to do? Or no, it was. Yeah, definitely from. Yeah, I guess the experiences that I've had. Of yeah, I wanted to be a physio, sort of growing up, and that changed pretty quick when I got drafted and did study some commerce because that was sort of what you did a very broad degree and needed wanted to do something I've always enjoyed sort of studying and reasonably academic um and then didn't yeah decided new business wasn't for me and hated that so yeah it was over that journey over those years started doing some work with some um sort of mental health charities and sort of really enjoyed sort of that experiences and the people I met um through some of those experiences and yeah it's something I'm something I'm interested in it's something I feel like um 
I can really commit to and it's like this at the end of it and I get my degree or it can lead to a career that's going to lead me to have some real fulfillment like I've for like being a like a footballer it's, it's obviously it's was yeah my one of my dream jobs growing up and we get to have such incredible experiences like the on the weekend when you play in front of 40 50 60,000 thousand people that um adrenaline rush and how we're able to contribute to the community and like it's yeah I really love that side of it so I feel like when I finish I still want to be able to um I feel like I want to have it yeah have an impact on people and have that fulfillment I don't think I'll be able to just do like a, a basic sort of um desk job I feel like I'd want to do something that contributes and helps people and that kind of thing so yeah, yeah I feel like better. Yeah, so I feel like that's a psych. Yeah, could lead lead down that path, and obviously, sports psych is something that I find interesting, and I've probably yep. got some um, some good experience to pass on in that side of things as well. So, yeah, yep. I don't have a clear plan as to where I want to lead to and which job I want to get, but I feel like um, I'm heading on the right direction that I'll be able to find find something to give me that fulfillment Excellent. later in life. Um, you touched on a couple of the, the charities that you've worked with. A couple that I read are um, Youth, Youth Focus uh, WA and Fremantle Mind. Can you tell us a little bit about those organisations and why you became involved with them? Yeah, so I think it was probably during that 2017 season that, yeah, we do, like the club has a lot of partnerships with different charities, and um, which I think is, yeah, like I said, fantastic. One of the great things about a, a football club and I wanted to yeah get involved with the, the mental health side of things and youth focus offer um yeah mental health support for sort of kids aged till like 24 25 children and young adults and um being able to be involved in some of their programs and see the work that they do um going through sort of what i went through and not having the i guess the understanding as a young adult how to deal with um how I was feeling and to deal with uh, my injury, which was um, yeah my challenge at the time. But I feel that sort of as a society, we can do better to educate young people to be more aware of how they're, how they're feeling, how they can be healthy, how their mates and how their friends and family can be happy and healthy as well. And yeah, I feel if I can, I guess, contribute and educate a little bit and obviously people are more inclined to more interested in um well are someone interested in a footballer's story and i'll i can i can already sort of get some people's attention and a lot of young young kids uh look up to look up to us so if i can if we can sort of spread a uh a message which is more than just going out and playing footy on a during the week and on the weekend that i feel like that's yeah just a good way that we as a club can uh can give back a little bit to society and educate a little. Three men of mine do similar, similar charity. They've um, do some work around the Freo area, just providing um, free services just to to more all ages for people um, people struggling using different different methods of group group therapy and yoga and uh, just providing a space for people to uh, to come and um, spend time with each other. And they've got. Um, different psychs and um, councils which support as well so yeah definitely on that same on that same line as before 
Yep. And I was just going to say, so with um, particularly with the youth focus, um, has your involvement been, have you sort of spoken in front of groups of kids or do you sort of do any workshops with them? How, how do you, have you been involved? Yeah, so it's probably, um, yeah, different talks. There's a program they ran called the Young Men's Project, which is um, where they get together a, a large group of young men from different different walks of life and they spend a day and they um their task is to create a, a program a, um, and a campaign focused on um, improving the mental health of, of young men. And I've yeah, been running that for a few years and I was involved in it, a couple of them. And yeah, my, I guess my involvement a lot of time has been just to, to share my, my story a little bit and my, um, how I've sort of grown and become educated in that space. And uh, I guess it's, um, breaking down a little bit of the stigma of talking about um, mental health and depression and and I guess as well trying to um, like expand their expand their reach and use my sort of platform I guess so it's yeah it's mainly that and I've, it's a it's quite a daunting experience getting up and speaking and telling that sort of story and having that sort of vulnerability but it's something that after every time I've done it it's just been such a, a valuable experience and it's yeah, you learn great skills in presenting when you're so when you're nervous and sharing that part of yourself. But it's yeah, it's always been had really good, really good feedback. And um, yeah, I think I think as society we speak a lot more about um, mental health and the the ways it can affect so many different people and affect all people. And I think we've obviously got a, a ways to go. But yeah, I think sports people and people in the public eye have a um, play a role in sort of spreading that word as well. This episode of the pod would not be possible without the support of Sam and the team at Infinite Joinery and Design. If you're like me and normally need these guys to come in after you stuff up your latest home renovation, here's an idea. Get them in first and save the hassle. Specialising in new home joinery fit-outs, renovations, kitchens, laundries, wardrobes, vanities and solid timber work and project management, Infinite have 3D design software and Sam alone has over 20 years experience in joinery and project management. He knows his stuff. Located at 6 Bay Drive, Coiba, or you can find them on Facebook and Instagram or contact Sam at 0429 291 008 or you can email sam at com. So don't be like me, get the experts in first and save yourself some money and a fierce dressing down from the better half. 2021, back in action again. You've um you've had a chance to captain the club over the last was it just this year you've you've been able to captain or was it last year that you did as well or? Uh no, just this year. Just this year, yep. Yeah. What was it, what was like, that like for you? Yeah, it was a really oh, it was a great experience. Um yeah, it's I don't know, something that's to begin with is quite yeah quite nerve-wracking and daunting particularly just the there's not too much extra you have to do as a as a captain there's a, I don't know, a bit of a, a bit more pressure I put on myself and that pre-game pre-game talk um yeah how do you go that, the, that most was the in, next thing I was going to ask you well yeah that in my own head before I did it for the first time that became the most important thing in the world and that was whether we're going to win or lose how good my <laughs> pre-game chat was so that was probably, yeah, that was the most um, daunting thing to start with, but it became a bit more relaxed, a bit more just backed myself in and wrote a few key points down. Obviously, don't want to don't want to um, speak for too long, and there's only whenever you talk like that or have a have a meeting, there's only so much information 
that the players are going to retain. So yep. <laughs> um, you can try and give a big brave heart speech, but in the end, like when the ball bounces, a lot of people are just going to tune in and they're going to forget everything. So yep. a lot of it has to come down to try and repeat a little bit of what the coach's messages have been and what the specific um, plan is going in and a couple of key points to, to focus on. But I did have a few, a few games there where I sort of indulged a little bit and tried to get the, get the boys going and just go a bit more, bit more motivational which is yeah which is fun but oh something I'm so yeah really proud really proud to do um once again it's I guess my yeah standing within the club is voted on by the by the players so that's always nice and just like I've been I played under some great captains like started under under Pav and had Dave money for a year and now I've got Fifey and just had so many great leaders throughout my time and players who I've just looked up to so much and I've had such a big impact on my career. Those guys that I mentioned, plus Matt DeBoer is a big one, Luke McFarlane, Aaron Sanderland, Michael Barlow, captained me in a game once as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like I'm aware, I guess, of the impact that those guys have had on me. So I try and I do put a bit of pressure on myself that like I want to be, yeah, someone who has a has an impact on on the yeah, a lot of guys' career, and they can look back and think, yeah, Alex was someone who made me better, or just yeah, it was a just a good bloke to be around, and it was a, I like playing alongside him. Yeah, and obviously, there's a pretty handy bloke that's got the job <clears> at the <throat> moment. But when the time comes, is that something that you would aspire to put your hand up to do to to actually be the full time captain of the club, or are you happy with where you sit at the moment? Uh, I'd do it. Yeah, for sure. It's yep. yeah, it's something that's. Um, I said that. The, yeah, you don't have to do too much extra, but I do did feel the extra pressure, and it was um, during the weeks probably uh, just had a little bit more on my plate and felt a bit more, yeah, a bit more stressed, a bit more pressure. But it's not something that I sort of strive out that, yeah, this is what I want to, I want to take over. But if it's what the team needs, oh yeah, I'm out there to to try and make the group better and to try and be successful. And if that's if me being a captain is going to make us better and make us successful, then yeah, sign me up. So yeah, yeah, it's, it would be, it would be nice, but it's not something that I'm just solely driven towards. Yeah. Another thing that I just want to touch on just quickly with you, um, you're obviously a proud um, indigenous man. So just coming off NAIDOC week last, last week, I know obviously would have been a a pretty important um, um, week for you, but your, um, your indigenous heritage um, traced back to Tasmania. Is it the Palawa tribe? Palawa. Palawa, yeah. sorry. So the Palawa tribe. So um, can you just tell us about your, your family history with the tribe? And is that something that you were always aware of? Or is it something that you um, became aware of later on and did a little bit more research into? What's your journey been as far as being an Indigenous man? Yeah, so it's something that um, I've always been aware of growing up, but never really understood too well for yeah for large parts of my life. And um, yeah, particularly like growing up, you don't learn a great deal about um, Indigenous history and culture, particularly in Tassie, I feel. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because of that, the history in Tassie is um, oh, so devastating and so many, so much of the, um, the culture was wiped out so long ago that, and yeah, there's not many Blackfellas that, are walking around that are around Tassie and a lot of the people with indigenous history uh, uh, look like me pale skin and it goes back a few generations um, it can be quite easy to 
quite easy to forget, I think. So it's sort of it's something I've um, sort of battled with in my own head about being comfortable with because moving over here, um, I've played with yeah, a lot of Indigenous teammates and they have really strong connections to their culture and their family. Um, whereas yeah, my connection is not as not as strong, but it's that sense of um, the sense of not wanting to forget um, what had happened. And although the uh, a lot so much of the history is yeah is horrible and um, devastating, that there was yeah there obviously were um, indigenous people in Tasmania, and there there still are even though. Um, there's, yeah, there's obviously not as many and I feel like that there needs to be that we can do better to to educate um, educate people and Tasmanians of what's yeah what's happened and what's come before and yeah I've learned a little bit more as I've gotten older uh, my uncle is is someone who's a little bit more connected who I've gotten closer with as I've sort of grown a bit older um, for Indigenous rounds I got my boots painted uh, by Carly Gray who's um, brother is Brady Gray, yeah, and Dad Chalky, who's most people know around the coast, yeah, um, yeah, who's a proud Indigenous um, woman as well. So that was a, a really great process to be able to a little bit of a story on my boots using some Aboriginal symbols. And um, if you sort of look closely, a lot of yeah, my boots sort of represent some of my family and where I come from. There's a map of Tassie on there. There's the Tassie tiger paw print. Um, yeah, there's sort of mutton birds represented on there. And that was sort of really a really sort of special and really um, educating experience for me to go through. Um, it was only just last week, my auntie is a um, principal at Somerset Primary and she sent me a, a few messages, um, a few photos of yeah, one of her grade three, four classes. They'd seen the video of me sort of explaining these boots in um, for Indigenous Round and they'd watched it and they've they've all designed their boots and they've all learned about the different Tasmanian Indigenous symbols and um, that to me was just really such a humbling humbling experience and to know that yeah because I had sort of spoken out and shared a little bit more that that's been able to educate a class of children about Tasmanian history and that was yeah yeah that was sort of super special for me and it's something that's I guess so special for me because as I touched on at the start, I'm such a proud Tasmanian and for me to know that I've had sort of family history and ancestry date back to forever being on the land in Tasmania. That's, that's something that's, yeah, so special. And when I, when I walk around Tasmania now, and when I sort of um, go on some hikes and in the bushland a little bit to me, it's, it is quite a special thing. Um, to just be on the land and it's yeah I guess it's hard to describe but and that's sort of why it's sometimes hard to describe why Tassie is so important to me because there is that um sort of in, intangible sort of experience and emotion that I have um, when yeah. I'm back keep sticking up for the place then mate someone's got to do it don't they <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> we got plenty of knockers so we got it yeah we got to stand up tall <laughs> Absolutely. Um, one thing that you touched on there before is obviously the the indigenous players that are that are at Fremantle. Um, was it was it something that you told them straight up that you're indigenous man, or how did that conversation come about with them? Was it something you were nervous about speaking to them about, or were you sort of straight up with that? Or uh, something I did, something I was nervous about. Brady Gray, um, who I was with, yeah, Palo Man as well. So he 
um, and we've actually played an Indigenous cricket team together yeah. in Alice Springs probably the year before I got drafted. So I guess we were sort of in it together and it was, yeah, I'm not, I'm not as, uh, I guess my connection to the culture is not as strong as Brady. So I wasn't, yeah, I felt a little bit on the outer at times, but that was, it was all from my own, in my own head really, because those guys, yeah, was sort of welcome to the, the brotherhood, I guess, of the, the Indigenous boys and yeah, something that, yeah, I certainly was daunted by um, to start with and took me a few years, as I said, to be a bit more comfortable in, um, yeah, my heritage and my history and just sort of know that um, where it comes from and what it is and just be be comfortable and still proud to to talk about it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Is um is there like a, a bit of a brotherhood within the team? I know how you said the culture they accept everyone, but is there like a little bit of a, a bond with the indigenous boys, do you find? Yeah, there certainly is. And probably yeah, a lot of the guys who are um a lot of the Noongar boys who are yeah, grew up in around Perth. But yeah, I do have that that's um a little bit more connection with um yeah, with some of those with some of those guys. Sonny Walters who I've been playing with for a long time now. Stephen Hill was one of my favourite teammates of all time. Michael yep. Johnson, a good mentor of mine, and Nathan Wilson, yeah, one of my favourite teammates to play with at the moment. So yeah, it's definitely yeah, a connection there. Um, another thing that I wanted to ask you about, and I'm not sure how much you you're allowed to comment on this or not, but obviously since we'd scheduled to catch up, um, there was another incident um, with your your teammate Sonny Walters, obviously getting uh, racial vilification <coughs> over social media, which I think is you know one of the most gutless things that somebody can do how does that affect you when you see that still going on and and how do you find life for indigenous players in 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 the afl in general yeah so it was funny and uh, michael frederick who's yeah that's right uh, yeah african south sudanese um heritage oh look it's i think my emotion comes it's just the i guess it does I guess like like you and like most people who see it, it is quite infuriating that that's how how people think and um, the people are willing to to say that those sort of things without any um, awareness of how that's going to make um, Sonny or Michael feel. And it did, um, yeah, to read what was said, how vile it was, it just did shake me that that's, it's someone in Australia that's doing that. And it's, a, it's someone who, oh, again, we should um, be looking after each, each other and start to someone to think like that. I, I don't know. It's, hard, it's a bit hard to describe, but the way I feel about it, yeah, it's probably similar to a lot of people. But then to try and think and try and empathise to how Sonny and Michael feel about that, who have, yeah, it's not the first time that they've been racially vilified and, to think about them and their family, about they're being treated like this and for no other reason for their the colour of their skin. It's just, yeah, I've so much empathy and uh, so like proud of the way these guys can still deal with these things and to take um, to take it public and to show what's been said. I feel there is some argument around people will have different opinions about whether you um, make it public and uh, so people can see what's been said, but I feel, I do feel like that the way forward is to to call out sort of all of these 
different incidents. So, because a lot of people don't see what goes on one uh, behind the social media DMs and some of the abuse that gets seen and the amount of support that that I received through different people voicing their love for Sonny and Michael was just like incredible. So, and I feel I haven't been able to have a chance to them, had a chance to speak to them over the last couple of days, but I can imagine that the just the groundswell support they've received from so many different people um, will sort of yeah, validate that uh, decision to take it public and sort of make them feel make them feel loved and supported, which um, yeah is is so important when these things happen. Um, I think this guy, there's a good chance he'll get caught because he what his name was um, he was using his own account. So look, it's with the police at the moment. So I hope hope an, an example can be set um, because yeah, these things still happen and it shouldn't happen. And I'd love to one day live in a society when yeah we don't have these incidents. Yeah. Do you, um, obviously it is a cauldron when you're out there on, on the AFL footy field. And it's one thing that I've never understood about even going to local footy, like, you know, the best players just cop so much abuse over the fence and, you know, they'll, the, the opposition hate them. Like what, it, it's something that I've just never understood just because somebody's good at something. It, it doesn't give you the right to, you know, because you've paid money to go to a football match to just say what you like over the fence to them. So what, what sort of, what sort of things have you heard over the fence or is it something that you just zone out when you're out there or have you ever had any abuse sort of thrown at you or is there anything that sort of up has rattled you at all? Um, don't hear too much and certainly not much I remember, but just the recent Colton game actually was probably the worst one I've played in where, yeah, the cheer squad were hanging over the fence, the hurling abuse likes, just which I sort of find funny at the time, but yeah it's just to, for people to get in that mindset like i lo- love a bit of banter and they'll yeah fans will get stuck into me about my hair which yeah which i love and it's it's funny and i think there's there is a spot for yeah you can you can hurl i don't know if abuse is the right word but yeah. a bit of banter and it's obviously hard to know the line but when the, yeah these guys are hanging over the fence pointing at me telling me to come to the fence so they can whack me and <laughs> just getting so vehemently like aggressive and angry that's yeah everyone there people take it the game a bit too seriously and there's nothing wrong with being yeah extremely passionate but yeah I just it's just the mindset that some people get in for these football games that it's the most important thing ever and it doesn't matter what they say because they want their team to win and yeah I I don't know it's it's an interesting conversation around around sort of what's allowed and I guess it's more complicated when you hear me say that yeah I love a bit of banter and a lot of people getting stuck into me mm. but yeah but there's a line, line and where people where can people yeah because it's I feel when I'm at sporting events and watching and there's a, you hear the people yelling out in the crowd like it makes me not want to go to events and when you've got the blokes mostly blokes who have had a bit too much to drink and think they're funny yelling out from the third tier when no one's gonna the players aren't gonna hear that and they're just making it dickhead of themselves. So, yeah, I don't know. Because, it, yeah, it's hard. Sometimes it's funny, but most of the time it's not. So it's... Mm. Yeah, it's, it's something that I worry about because my young fella plays footy and, you know, I, I just think, you know, if he ever becomes a good footballer or a senior footballer or something like that, I don't want him to have to put up with that over the fence, but it's going to happen. So, you know, and I always worry too, you know, if you were ever there 
you know, and again, I can only think about, you know, how your dad would feel if he was at a game and somebody was hurling abuse at you over the fence. As a parent, it would probably be an interesting situation to be in, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I don't know. Dad can uh, sometimes keep his temper in check, but it's... (laughs) Yeah, I remember the game the other day. I think mum said something in the other game that they were actually turning around and stared at someone, she reckoned, but... Yeah, it's... (laughs) You're right. I mean, it's... um, it's yeah, awkward enough and bad enough if you're listening to it and it's directed at someone you don't know, but if you know the person that's getting this abuse held out of it, yeah, it's a whole other, whole other story. Just a couple of quick ones to finish up, mate, but obviously 2022 so far has been a fantastic year for you back in all Australian contention again, which I know you probably don't want to talk about, but I'll talk about it. Um, <laughs> you know, you're obviously on track to... Um, you know, achieve some great things at, at the pointy end of the season. But who's um who's the best player that you've played with over the journey? Played with? Yep. Oh, it's a, oh, it's a hard one. And, like, obviously, Fife has won two Brownlows. Yep. Um, playing with him, so it's hard to, to go past, past Fife. Um, Pav, like, Pav just had such an aura about him, playing with him and getting to train with him, as I said, and the experience that that was and running out... Um, running out in the race and getting in the huddle and have given you the pregame speech and some of the most special, yeah, the most special moments I think that I'll have are the hugs and the embraces before you run out to battle. That's, yep. yeah, sort of the peak of, yeah, my sort of footy memories and, yeah, doing that, the guys that stand out doing that. Have obviously, um, Matt DeBoer, who I've touched on before, I've got a great relationship with, Aaron Sanderlands, Still remember him one day sticking up for me. Tom Lynch in my second game or so was like getting like giving me a bit of shit on the ground, and he came up, picked him up, and scruffed him, and said he was going to kill him if he did it again. <laughs> so I've always stuck, it's always stuck with me. Hayden Valentine, I just love. He is just your typical country footballer, like off the field, loves a beer, trains racehorses as I touched on. Yeah, I've always connected really well with him, and just love the way he's played. So it's those guys who are. Those guys who have got that little X, that X factor and that real aggression to them that will just do anything for the team, anything to win, those are the ones that really stand out for me. Excellent. And of the players that you're playing with now, like I know sometimes being over in Fremantle, um, a lot of the players probably don't get the exposure that the Victorian clubs get. But give us a bit of a smoky. Who's one of the most important players to your club? Who's a, who's a great player that probably doesn't get the, the credit that they deserve, do you think? Um. Oh, alongside me, like Luke Ryan is just an amazing player. He was all Australian a couple of years ago and went yep. FNF a couple of years ago. But yeah, as like third tools, like roll off defenders go, like he's as good as there is. Like he's a great, like beautiful kick. It's plenty of the ball. Courageous and tough as they come. He's got that country footballer mindset, which I've sort of spoken about a bit and I love. He's always the first one in. If there's any diff going on, he runs from anywhere. Yep. Because he loves his teammates so much. Um, yeah, probably him. Lockie Schultz up forward doesn't get much I need the credit, but he's just so desperate, so dedicated, just loves his teammates, unselfish. Yeah, those two stand out. Excellent. And obviously everyone knows, you know, about the Sarongs and the Brayshaws, but who else is going to be a star, <clears> do you think, amongst the young crop that's coming through? Who would you who would you have a punt on if you're allowed to have a punt? Oh, Heath Chapman is another defender, I guess, who's come on a bit this year. Yep. We've got a hammy at the moment, but he's due back soon. I feel like he'll be all Australian. Yeah, not too not too far away. Like he's yeah, sort of touched on the guys. He's just so 
desperate and like tough and as well as being a skillful guy. Matty Johnson hasn't played a game yet. Who's a mid wing, um, yeah, kid for WA. He's yep. got a lot to like about him. So yeah, yeah, he's a he's a gun, good kid. So yeah, excellent. And who's the best you've played on? Who's been your toughest opponent? Uh, oh, probably Buddy. Yep. Yeah, even he's been. Yeah, he just beat you so many different ways, and he's got that aura about him as well. And he's fierce, aggressive, and does anything to doesn't need to win. Yeah, and then I always go Jack Roy, really tough to play on as well. Yeah, and always pump up a Tasmanian, but he's yeah, <laughs> deceptively like quick and super smart. Um, yeah, he's he's always tough. Yeah, you meant you mentioned Buddy. I was going to say, does he talk to you much out on the field? He's probably a good sledger, isn't he? Yeah, he is actually. Yeah, I remember a couple of early days, like yeah. Just the typical, like, who are you? Like, what's your name type thing? Like, you, you're supposed to be a good player. Like, please. Yeah. You have the chest that poked out. Oh, you can say whatever he likes to. Or the baby oil, I rub his arms as well, which is annoying because it gets on your hands. <laughs> what What do you reckon is the best sledge that you've heard on a footy field or the best bit of banter? Oh, don't hear too much down, down back. I'm probably away from most people, but... And I don't cop much with that one. Yeah, buddy, just that just the arrogance of just asking what your name is. And he said that to a few people from memory. So that's always, it's always a winner, just completely talking down and disrespecting someone. That's always, <laughs> that's the way to go. Do you dish out much yourself <laughs> or are you more of an actions man? Uh, probably more actions. I get a bit carried away sometimes, but nah, more so. There's probably too much thing. It's not like a game of cricket where you can think up the sledges. It's you've got to, uh, you're going to be a bit more focused on what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, last question, mate. I know you're a bit of a muso and um, you've obviously got your finger on the pulse there. Who's someone that we should be listening to that a lot of people <laughs> wouldn't know about that's up and coming? Who are you listening to at the moment? Um, oh, I love Great Gable. Very good. Um, yep. Good Fremantle band. Perth band. Yep. Uh, I, got some, I got some good stuff. Oh, who else? People will be listening, mate. You watch their Spotify hits yeah. go up now. Death, Death by Denim. They're another good Freo, Freo dance. Yep. Just good classic sort of alternative rock, indie rock yep. style. Excellent. Obviously, you'd be a Luca Brasi man as well. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Good mates with Tyler, actually. The, the lead singer. He's a great man. I've had a few beers with him over the time. Yeah. yeah. Great stuff. They're as proud Tasmanians as you can get as well. So I love, yeah. I love them. Awesome. So what are the plans for the future, mate? Anything else on, on your radar? I know you're a big traveller. Is there any other things on the bucket list that you're wanting to do? Uh, yeah, so this off-season, obviously the first chance I've got in a while to go overseas. So I think I'll be yeah spending a hell of a lot of time overseas trying to make up some lost ground, head to America. Some music festivals in mind that I'm keen to hit up. I've got a mate who lives in Kentucky who I'm going to catch up with. Yeah, I've got some mates in Europe as well who I want to see. So, yeah, like I'm going to try and pack as much into it as I can. It's, yeah, I try to oh, experience as much as I can in life. And we've got such a great, um, great opportunity having all this time off and getting paid good money. So, like, yeah, I'm so keen to just go out and see some new, new places and just get out of Australia for a bit. Awesome. 
well, hopefully you can, mate. Hopefully COVID doesn't take over and they don't shut things down again. Hopefully you can do a bit of travelling. Yeah, well, as long as I'm gone before they shut, they can lock me out for a bit. But as long as they <laughs> let me out to start with. I say that every time we go to Queensland. I said, geez, it'd be, a, it'd be a hassle if we got um, locked in, we couldn't come back. That'd be a shame, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah the club might not be happy, but I could do a few, months, few extra months over there. Yeah, that'd be right. You keep your training up, mate, I'm sure. Um, yeah. yeah, that's all I've got for you, mate. So um, obviously, as I say, you know, smashing it this year and I can only wish you all the best for, for the rest of your season. And like I said, you know, you're right in all Australian contention and, you know, I know many, a lot of Tasmanians would love nothing more than to see you get up there and, and, and receive that blazer on the back of what, what you've been through. And, you know, more importantly, the team's flying on the field as well. So, you know, you're going to figure at the at the pointy end. And, and just as importantly, mate, good luck with your life after football and outside of football, and especially with your psychology and what you want to do um, later on. I know that you're going to help plenty of people, so commend you on that as well. It's been an absolute treat having a chat, and I know that, um, you know, you guys are obviously flat out, and I really appreciate your time. Oh, it's, it's a pleasure, mate. It's, yeah. Obviously, it's just nice to speak to a fellow Northwest Coaster and to yeah, share my story through a bit of a Tassie land. It's, yeah, it's great, mate. I appreciate the chat. Awesome. Mate, all the best with it anyway. Uh, tell you, mate. Cheers. Big thanks to Alex for coming on the pod. When you DM someone on Instagram, sometimes you don't have high expectations that they'll message back, as I'm sure these blokes get smashed with requests. But Alex was quick to reply, and as you heard through the pod, he's always happy to help out someone in his home state, which is fantastic. I hope as a listener you gained as much from that as I did. Sometimes when you listen to these sporting interviews, it's the same old line and length, so it's a pleasure to speak to someone so grounded in himself and life and to speak about him as the person, not just the footballer. It's also great to speak to someone so passionate about their home state, and this definitely shines through very strong in Alex. I hope anyone out there going through tough times takes on Alex's message of reaching out and speaking to others and getting a support network around you to help you through. Thanks for listening, keep supporting each other and looking after our fellow Tasmanians and like Alex, be proud of who we are and where we come from.